Hi, this is Chris Stewart from Oasis Church in Athens, Ohio. Normally, this podcast is where we would post the teaching from the previous Sunday's message in our worship service that meets in the Athens Middle School. However, during this particular time in our nation's history, when everyone is doing their part to lessen the threat of the COVID-19 coronavirus, our church is also making sure that every member is physically distancing themselves from one another. And in order to do that, we're setting up Facebook Live church services from my living room, in fact. And what we're doing with this podcast during this time is pulling the audio from the sermons on those Facebook Live messages so that you can still have your weekly podcast feed if you like to listen to those separately. We don't know how long this will last, but as long as it does, we'll keep posting these And we hope that you enjoy them. We hope that you're fed and well-nourished while you're at home. And by all means, please reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email at oasisathens at gmail.com. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, we want to continue to serve and minister to the needs of our community, even during a time where it makes it difficult to do that in person. May God bless you today, and we hope you enjoy this message from Oasis Church in Athens, Ohio. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, the Apostle Paul writes the, these words. This is something that I want you to hear that Paul says regarding the reason for the resurrection. He says, He, which he's referring to Jesus, He died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. So the question I think that we are here to answer today is, why is the resurrection of Christ or the fact, the fact that the historical Jesus of Nazareth raised from being dead to being alive again, why is it so important? First, I wanna say this, it's not important. It's everything. If it didn't happen, then this, meaning the church and what we've done today and what's happening all over the world today is the greatest folly. It's the biggest comedy show. It's the worst misunderstanding in the history of the world. If it did not happen, then this is, this is the greatest circus called the church that, you've ever, that you'll ever see in your life. But I, I wanna show you where we can trust the words of those who who, who first preached this message in history. And I want to read those words first. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to read the first uh, eight verses. And I might throw in a couple of other extra verses too, just for good measure. But Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he says this. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. So this he's saying, this is the very message that is saving you. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. So he's saying, I passed on to you, the, what, this is what is most important. He's about to put a colon in here. And, and then what comes after the colon is the very thing that he's saying is the most important message that he could give them. 
So here's what he says is the most important thing that you that I want you to receive, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to to the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12, and then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. That's one of the ways that they said, that's often how they would say someone died in scripture. They'd fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. I also want to read verses, uh, verse 14 and 17, because I think that's something, I'm going to come back to those verses, but I just want to put them in your ears. Verse 14 says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. That's essentially what I just said here a few minutes ago. And then in verse 17, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you're still in your sins. You know, virtually all scholars today Regardless of how skeptical they are about Christianity or what direction they tend to lean in terms of what they believe about the claims of Christianity or Christian tradition, almost every scholar in the world agrees that, that the books of 1 Corinthians and Galatians particularly are among the early authoritative Christian writings that were written by the Apostle Paul. Now, we believe that all of what we have in the canon of Scripture is is authoritative as well, but, but almost every scholar will take these, what I mean by that is take these as historical books that, that, are, that are written by Paul and that he actually believed what he was writing when he wrote these words. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 7, this, this, a little section that we just read, Paul presents perhaps the earliest Christian tradition of all, presenting basically the names of various witnesses, literal people who really lived that Jesus appeared to and spoke with and ate dinner with and breakfast. And, and, and he did all these things after his death on the cross. Those witnesses, whenever they would speak the gospel message, whenever they gave the message of Christ or the message of the gospel, the message of salvation, they always included unquestionably this claim that Jesus had literally risen from death. And I want to tell you something. Paul was not somebody, the apostle Paul was not somebody who would have taken this lightly. He would not have made such claims if he had not been absolutely certain of their veracity. Whenever we study history, for example, if you're just going to study historical events, what we're trying to do when we study history is we're trying to uncover the past. We're trying to look at things that happened in the past and uncover them and know about them as accurately as possible. And to reveal the facts about what actually took place during a time, a place, or an event. And since events themselves can't be repeated... The best method that we have to uncover these facts is to study the experiences of the people who were living during those occasions. For example, 200 years from now, the best way that people in the year 2220, <laughs> if you can imagine a year of 2220, the best way that those people in the future are going to know that a coronavirus pandemic actually happened will be to study the experiences of those of us right now who are living it. 
during this time. Now, obviously, we have a lot more technology, a lot more means to be able to give them record of what is happening. They, but they're going to look at our writings, they're going to listen to our recordings, and they will learn how this event, they'll watch our TikTok videos and things like that, and they'll learn how this event took place and how it just stopped our lives and how it changed the way we live and behaved for a period of time. And you know what? And I'll be honest with you. There will no doubt be people in 2220 20, who won't believe this happened or they'll at least won't believe it happened the way we said it did. They won't trust all of our media. They'll probably think that we are a little ignorant They'll probably think that we were less educated. We'll look really old-fashioned to them. They'll think that we are less sophisticated, and they'll have a hard time grasping it. Does that sound familiar? Does that happen today? Of course it does. It's no different than, than the, those who are alive today who refuse to trust the claims of eyewitnesses in year 33 AD. It's no different. Paul himself was initially a skeptic, and he was living in that day. He was adamantly against the claims that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. And then Jesus appeared to him <laughs> and blew his world away. And he became one of those very eyewitnesses. And then after that, what does Paul do? Well, he tells us what he does in these verses. He went and he interviewed those other men who knew Jesus firsthand. That's what he said he did, and he did it pretty quickly. Paul was especially interested in learning from those people to whom Jesus had appeared after his death. Now, of course, Paul himself had also seen the risen Christ, but, but he wanted to make sure that he wrote about all the other people that he talked to. He traveled to Jerusalem, and he traveled there more than once, actually, and when he was there, he was able to chat with other apostles about their own experiences that they had with the risen Christ. You can read this. If you want to read and look this up, you can read about this in Galatians 1 verses 18 through 24. So I'm not going to go there. I want to keep I want to keep moving on this track. But if you go to Galatians 1, 18 through 24, Paul, Paul says where he went to Jerusalem and talked to these men. And not only did he discuss these matters with two of the original eyewitnesses of the events, and the two people I'm talking about are Peter and James. But he did this almost immediately after the actual events took place. So within five years, so within about five years, we know that Jesus, Jesus died and was raised somewhere between 80, 31, 80, 36. A lot of people put that date around 80, 33 or so. And so about five years later, the apostle Paul witnesses Jesus himself, and then he goes back to Jerusalem and he's taking notes. He's, he's interviewing these guys, these guys that walked with Jesus and said, hey, I want to hear your story. And then he took a second trip, and that second trip was 14 years later. And when he took that second trip, John, the apostle John, was also pr present when he spoke with them, with them at that time. And uh, Paul then asked them again, hey, do you still, do you still hold to the same message of Christ's resurrection? And you can read about that one, that trip in Galatians chapter 2, verse 2. So these three men, Peter, James, and John, were three of the most influential leaders in the early church. And their memories would have been pretty fresh at the time that Paul spoke with them. I think they would have been. I mean, imagine you talking with someone not from Ohio five years from now about this coronavirus pandemic. 
and all the measures that people took in the state of Ohio to diminish the threat of this virus. And you described to them some of the things that you did during this time. So we're five years in the future. Do you think five years from now, you'd be able to relay your experiences pretty accurately? I think so. I don't think we'd have any problem at all. Here in Athens, Ohio, five years ago, we had an event. We had a pretty big event for us in Athens, Ohio that took place. I should say for us, for sports fans, for those of you who are Athens high school or just high school sports fans, we had a lot of people in Athens County following uh, the Athens Bulldogs football team about five years ago. The same amount of time that Paul, between the time Paul went, uh, between the, the death and resurrection of Christ and the time Paul went and talked to the people about it. So about five years ago, we had uh, the Athens Bulldog football team led by Joe Burrow, and they went to the state championship game. Let me ask you, if you're from this area, can you remember that event accurately enough to be able to tell someone about it? Yeah, big events are, they stick in our mind, don't they? What if you were there? Those of you who went, it probably would, would, would hold more, even more weight in your brain, wouldn't it? I mean, what if you were part of the team? I mean, would you believe the details of the game if one of the players who was on the field was sitting down with you and describing to you the events of the game? Do you think they'd be able to remember it pretty well? Peter, James, and John were part of the team. Jesus had appeared to hundreds of other people after he raised from death. There were a lot of people who were at the game and they could all tell the story. But Paul went directly to those who were on the field with him. And he said, tell me about it. Tell me, tell me about what you saw. The things Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 were a result of speaking directly with the main players just five years after the event. And then he goes back 14 years later even, and he says, hey, I'm just checking. I know you've been beaten. I know you've been tortured and, and, and many people are being put to death because of these claims. I just wanna make sure that you still remember exactly the same. I mean, countless other believers in the first century church were more than willing to die for their proclamation that Jesus had raised from death. Now, while that alone doesn't make something to be true, it does indicate that they certainly believed that their testimony was true and that they would rather suffer execution rather than deny what they knew to be true about the resurrection. So all of that to say that the evidence for Jesus' resurrection and his appearances after he raised, it, it, they are defensible, they are compelling, and they're not, certainly not, a stretch to believe in. It is essential. And what you believe about the resurrection determines whether or not you are a Christian. Those are not my words, by the way. Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians 15, one and two, words that we just read. He says, now I want to make it very clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preach to you. So he says, the message by which you are being saved, you are being saved if you hold to the message I preach to you. What is that message? Well, he tells us in verse three, 
For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared. That is the message. Go back to Friday for a second. If you had been there when Jesus was crucified, you probably would have vomited or screamed or maybe pulled your hair out or thrown yourself on the ground and pounded your fists in the dirt or sobbed uncontrollably. I don't know how you would have reacted, but but I'm guessing those kinds of things may have happened putting spikes through people's arms and legs and hanging them on a wooden beam with their full body weight, tearing their flesh, smashing their legs or driving a spear into their side to make sure that they are are dead. That's, That's unbearable stuff to watch, let alone endure. I talked about this in great detail on Good Friday, and that video is actually posted just below this one on Facebook, and you can also find that video on YouTube. Jesus volunteered for that. He chose it. It was not forced onto him. And I talked about this last week, how the cross was actually completely avoidable if he wanted to avoid it. And there's a word for this, and that word is called love. Romans 5, 8 says, God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so I want to provide um, just some concluding thoughts about this. What does all of this accomplish together from Friday to today? So beginning with the crucifixion, the gospel, the love of God, and the death of Jesus all accomplishes us accomplishes for us basically the ability to live in the love and the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus had that has provided every single day Christ's death on the cross accomplishes for us the ability to live in his love and in grace and in forgiveness that is a very real thing that you can do today to show that Christ's death accomplished something And here's the amazing thing. It works not just for us. When we think about forgiveness, we think something that we received, right? But it also works for people who wrong us. Through the power of Christ's death, not only are we given forgiveness and grace and joy ourselves, but we're given the power to extend that same love and forgiveness to others. That's what his death does. So what does his resurrection do then? What does being raised from death add to that? Well, the answer is in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. It's the last verse that I read at the beginning of this message. And it says this, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. If Christ was not raised, then you are still in your sins. To be in your sins, understand this, to be in your sins is the opposite of being in Christ. When we are in Christ, we get what Christ can do for us, which is eternal life and all the things that I talked about that the cross accomplished. When we are in our sins, we get what our sins can do for us, which is eternal condemnation and death. Romans 6 tells us this. 
For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness, meaning that you could not produce righteousness on your own. You're free from it. So what fruit was produced then from the things that you are now ashamed of? The outcome of these things is death. The outcome of sin is death. But now since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, he says. And the outcome of faith in, in Christ is eternal life. And then he gives us that famous verse that many know, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So listen, if Christ has not been raised, then you are still in your sins. You still have the weight of guilt on your shoulders. You're still under condemnation and you're still alienated from God and you are still unforgiven. If Christ has not been raised, that is all of our state. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the reward for his sacrifice on the cross. And if the reward isn't given, it's because the sacrifice was deficient. And if the sacrifice is deficient, then that means we're all still in our sins. And that's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection of Jesus Christ validates the infinite value of the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. It validates his perfection. It validates his sufficiency to be able to make us pure, to be able to make us righteous before God, to do something that none of us could do on our own. Our faith is not in vain because Jesus is alive. And Jesus is alive today for this reason, and that is to deliver to each one of us personally everything that he died to obtain, the joy of being loved and forgiven, and the double joy that comes when we love and forgive others. God, I'm thankful that you did not see fit to leave us on our own, to leave us in our sins. But God, you chose willingly to take a punishment that only we deserved. And that punishment accomplishes for us the joy that we're able to have today. If any of us are able today to, to express joy, if any of us are able today to look at something that someone has done to wrong us and say, you know what, I forgive you. If any one of us today are able to, to just live with a smile on our face because the grace of Christ is giving us the freedom. Maybe that freedom is just inside our own home or in our own property, but the freedom to, to do what it is that we wanna do in that moment. That is all accomplished because of what you did on the cross and it is rewarded to us because of the fact, the truth of the resurrection. You didn't stay dead. And because you didn't stay dead, it proves that you were who you said you were, that you are who you say you are because you say that before Abraham was, I am. You're eternal. Eternal One is able to provide each one of us that same eternal life.
for that, God, we're grateful. That is what Easter is about. And that's why every Sunday is Easter. We thank you. In Jesus' name.